netcasting from Chicago, Los Angeles, and Sydney. You're listening to this week's FX Podcast from fxguide.com. This podcast is brought to you by the new courses on offer over at fxphd.com with a huge range of topics from motion graphics to the new RenderMan. Plus, you can even sample an entire class from our new 300-level new course. Just go to fxphd.com slash blog. Thanks for joining us for this FX podcast. The FX podcast is where we talk one-on-one with top visual effects artists doing cutting-edge work. We dig deep into the technical side, advance the craft of visual effects, and pay respect to the hardworking people creating amazing work. We do a lot of podcasts here at FX Guide, so check them all out at fxguide.com slash podcasts. So this week's podcast is about an event at SIGGRAPH 2014, which is happening in Vancouver, August 10th to the 14th. I'm talking about a session called Real Time Live. This has become a very popular session at SIGGRAPH, and if you have been following advancements in real-time rendering and games, it's truly amazing what can be done in real-time graphics these days, and you can start to extrapolate where we'll be, coming, where we'll be heading in a few years. Well, we'll get to all that in just a second, but I wanted to mention we have 12 new courses underway over at fxphd.com, our online training site. Such courses as the third in a series focused on digital matte paintings, a new flame course taught by Sam Edwards, who we've featured recently in an FX Guide TV episode for his work on the series Cosmos. We've got a couple of great new motion graphics offerings, a Python for Nuke and Gizmos course, a photogrammetry course, and one focused on getting the most out of Adobe's Premiere Pro. And that's just the courses that I'm most excited about. So head over to fxphd.com and see what interests you. This podcast actually contains two different interviews. We're going to start with the conference chair, Nico Gonzalez. And then we're going to speak to one of the presenters, Ari Shapiro, from USC's ICT Lab. And then we're going back to Nico to hear about other presentations. The presentation that Ari's going to talk about is a system using the Connect to capture and simulate an avatar of a person in four minutes. It's so fast that you could do a new one every day based on what you're wearing. Um, there's a sh- th- that's just a short blurb from the website, but he'll explain in a lot more detail with Mike. So let's get started now with Mike Seymour speaking with SIGGRAPH Conference Chair Nico Gonzalez. Thanks, Jeff. Well, let's start with Nico. And uh, I've got to say, Real Time Live is one of the highlights now of SIGGRAPH. It's an amazing thing. It always gets packed out, like 1,500 people in to have a look at it. But Nico, when did Real Time Live actually start at SIGGRAPH? When was the first Real Time Live at SIGGRAPH? The Real Time actually started in 2009. Um, our first show was actually led by Evan Hirsch, uh, professional in the area, who brought together a fantastic group of presenters showcasing the latest and greatest uh, technology in, in real-time graphics. And um, it actually had a huge appeal for, for the audience. The audience loved it. So we continued evolving the concept. And um, this is basically, what is it, 2014, and, and we're still rolling. And it will still be, be uh, part of the conference for many years to come. And, you know, it's getting better and better every year. Yeah, I don't think I saw it that uh, five years ago, but I certainly have seen uh, many of the ones since then. And it is actually not only really good opportunity to see this stuff interactively, but it's packed out in the uh, big hall. And and I got to say, the audience reaction to the stuff is is you know part of what makes it so interesting. I think. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we've 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 actually toyed around with different formats. And at what point we had uh, the show laid out as a two different dates? Uh, what we've actually yep. found is that it works a lot better if we have it one time. But which what we're actually focusing on it is to provide them the best experience we can for the for the attendee and and, and in SIGGRAPH, uh, 
the conference as a whole has so much to offer that unfortunately it's a little bit of a game of, you know, like <laughs> what am I going to sacrifice today? Um, so we wanted to make sure that we could offer real time live at a one time uh, place in a one time spot in which there wasn't a lot of competition um, at that particular time slot. And uh, what we found is that it actually in- increases kind of the, the experience because because you really want to be there. Like you, you basically put it on your calendar, you make sure you're there, and you come in actually excited to see it. Um, so it makes it a little bit better. So now the we're going to get into what's happening this year, but let's just get everyone's calendar um, penciled in. Mm-hmm. for It's 5.30 on the Tuesday night, so that would be the 12th, right? Yep. And it's going to go for what? Normally it's like a couple of hours. Well, the show this year has been extended a little bit. Uh, we have a couple of really interesting surprises. Uh, I can tell you a little bit more about them. But uh, basically this year, traditionally it was a one-and-a-half-hour show. This year we're actually going one and 45. Okay. So that it gives us a little bit more room for um, a couple of extra pieces that we're introducing. So the format, is that going to be the same as, like, say, last year, where I mean, basically you're presenting one after another? You're hinting at something here. What, what, what's happening that's new? <laughs> so yeah, so I'm actually quite excited about this. And what we're doing this year is that we're, we're bringing in together, um, almost like blurring different lines among multiple venues and multiple uh, presentations within the conference. And uh, we've started with a theme of augmented reality and virtual reality. So what we have going right now is, uh, is a competition, the contest open for academia and, and, and industry as well. And what we're looking for is the, the greatest and, and, and the best accomplishments done in this space. And what we'll do is that the top three will actually have an opportunity to present in real time live um, a little bit of a, in a um, compressed um, format. Um, however, what, uh, what is very exciting is the fact that the audience will actually get a chance to select a winning uh, piece. And uh, we actually have some really, really cool prices uh, for for the winners, so so I'm actually very excited about that. So, how will that voting happen? Like, is it going to be just uh, sort of? I mean, how, how, how is the audience picking the winner? So, <clears throat> uh, I believe it was two or three years ago that we introduced our official SIGGRAPH app uh, for the conference, yep. and this year, no difference than any other. <laughs> we've actually improved it quite a bit, and we've included a voting system within it that will be used for real-time live and for other venues such as uh, dailies as well. And uh, what you'll do is that uh, when you're sitting there in the audience, you know, you can pull out your smartphone, you know, load up the app, and everything will be there. Everything's very easy to use, and, and you'll have a chance to pick um, – basically within the top three finalists, which one's your favorite, and, and you will be the one picking the, the winner. <laughs> well, actually, I'm one of the people that have kind of criticized that app in the past. So anyway, <laughs> I stand uh, ready to be uh, corrected. But um, uh, let's change gear right now and talk to one of the people actually presenting at Real Time Live. Ari Shapiro is from uh, USC, ICT. He's presenting, or part of the team, presenting Make Your Own Avatar. This is a really amazing uh, real-time presentation that will be happening as part of the event. So um, let's just zoom in now and just have a look at how one of the individual uh, presentations will run on the night. Um, Also, I should flag that Ari, well, as you'll hear in a minute, Ari is, of course, um, for those of you in the know, is going to make an appearance earlier than this, um, but I'll, uh, I'll let him explain. Well, I'm joined now on the line by Ari. How are you, Ari? Very good. Thank you. Very good. So uh, in a second, we'll discuss your work that's being presented on uh, Tuesday night, I believe, at, uh, at SIDGRAPH. 
But in fact, you'll make a rather unusual appearance earlier in the conference, or rather your namesake in reverse will, isn't that right? Yes, right. <laughs> so I am the, the acting talent behind the uh, Digital IRA project uh, from uh, Paul DeBethick's Graphics Lab. So he's uh, always asking people to volunteer for various different uh, research projects he's doing. So I, I happened to volunteer for that one at that time, and the results came out uh, pretty well. Um, it was originally called the Digital Ari Project, and then at some point I wanted to make a little bit of separation between the, the digital doppelganger and, and myself, so I suggested to reverse the name, so-called Digital Ira instead of Digital Ari. Um, yeah. But uh, some people have come up to me at their various different conferences in Sigraf and say, hey, aren't you that guy? <laughs> on the screen, and they start examining me and looking for my moles on my face, and yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I see on the on the digital character. Yeah, I must admit, I've I've gone around the 4K version of your uh, digital doppelganger with quite a lot of detail. Looking, it's quite uh, <laughs> it's quite weird because uh, when you've done that with a with a model, like a digital model of somebody, and then you meet them in person, it's really weird because you feel like you know them really well, and of course they've never met you before, but. Um, yeah, yeah, and, and I can always tell the people that have done that because they have a, they they stare at me a little bit longer than most people do, yeah. right? As if they're examining me in some way. So <laughs> I, I know immediately if somebody has stared at that model for a long time because the way they look at me when I see them or meet them. Now, before we get serious with the research, I've got to ask you why the parfait. Oh, <laughs> so um, I'm not a I'm not an actor, obviously, and I don't think I'm a particularly good actor. Uh, but the director for that particular take uh, was trying to get me to emote a bit. Um, and he says, okay, now I want you to get angry, get really angry about something. And, and I couldn't think of anything to get angry about, uh, except for the other day I, I, I used to go to McDonald's uh, every morning and have these $1 fruit parfaits. And, you know, for a dollar, it's very good as yogurt and fruit. And one day I came in and it was, it was frozen strawberries. And it, that's okay. I came back the next day and complained about it. And the, the, the manager at the time gave me such a hard time about this $1 fruit parfait and insisted that I'd already eaten it, and it was a whole deal. So it, it sat with me. So when uh, the director said, okay, get angry about something, that's just what came out. Okay. And I think out of, out of all the angry takes I took, that was, that was the best one I felt, maybe because it was the most genuine one. So, so that lives on for eternity on the Internet. <laughs> so, so for those of you that just don't understand that cryptic discussion, um, the digital version of uh, Ari, uh, Ira, uh, makes a sort of a very... Um, well-executed lip-sync piece of dialogue, but it just happens to be about a fruit parfait, and it just seemed like the oddest thing for you guys to pick as a as a uh, digital uh, example. Though you know it works fine, and doesn't really matter what you're saying, of course. But uh, that's the uh, yes. Look it up on the net; you'll uh, you'll know exactly what's going on. So, so just quickly um, delineate for me the research that the uh, the you know light stage uh, Paul DeBevic, um led team there is doing and how it's significantly different from what we're going to talk about today, which is, of course, the uh, real-time live stuff to do with making your own avatar. Right. So, uh, so Paul DeBevick's group is the graphics lab, and their, their current research is high-fidelity faces, uh, lighting models, and, and that sort of thing. Um, a lot of the work that you've seen recently that comes out of that lab. Um, my group uh, is the character animation simulation group, which does research in... Uh, models of motion synthesis, animation, locomotion, uh, different sort of uh, models of human behavior, not necessarily uh, related to the face, right? How does the body move? How does a character gesture? Um, we do some lip-syncing algorithms, uh, but we're not necessarily concerned with lighting um, and uh, those sorts of fidelity issues, rather behavioral fidelity. Right? Right. How do you create a model of a person to make them move like a person does? 
Yeah, must have been. Um, I thought your work was primarily uh, to do with um, form, you know, in a kind of sense of a whole person, though I, I was not so aware that you were doing facial uh, sort of reconstruction stuff or other tracking stuff. Is that is that a small part of it or is that a growing part of it? That, that's a piece of it. I mean, in general, I, I look at uh, the, the research that we're doing as ways to, to synthesize motion, right? So uh, with a lot of work in animation, the problem of you know, can I replay animation? Well, we can replay animation, but how do we create arbitrary animation? How do we create these controllable characters that can do what we want when we tell them what to do? Um, so that's the area that I'm focused on. So um, I'm less interested in sort of reproduction of, of, of movement than I am in synthesizing movement, right? Although reproduction is always a piece of it, right? Can I capture a clip of a person and make that person do that sort of task whenever I want them to? Um, so is this and, to say uh, that you're trying to go beyond a straight motion capture performance to a motion capture extrapolation? Well, to create some sort of model of movement, right? So right. You, I might use motion capture to create a, a system for locomotion. So we have a, a, a locomotion algorithm that uses about 20 different motions, right? So we have motions of people walking, running, jogging, turning left, turning right, sidestepping, and we can put all those together in, in the right sort of blend with the right kind of algorithm to piece them together, and then we can have the character walk anywhere, right? We can capture different kinds of grabbing in different spaces, reaching and grabbing, and then if we have enough of those examples and put the right control algorithms, we can have a character that can effectively manipulate objects anywhere in their space. So let's say uh, so, let's say I was being grabbed. Is the idea that the pre-existing walk cycle is kind of the template, and my characteristics of my walk get applied to that template, or is it more that once you've got me, you can apply a walk even though you never film me walking? Um, it can go both ways. Uh, we can we can apply a some kind of movement data to your character, not knowing much about you, but then it'll be a sort of a generic walking. Um, if we can capture particular aspects of how you walk, you know, um, you have a little sort of movement in the way you move, the way you hold yourself, you know, I've had ACL surgery, maybe there's a little hitch in my walk. Um, if we can capture that, then we can reuse that to synth uh, uh, synthesize a motion that is particular to, to that person. So at, um, at a crowd simulation level, you could sample a bunch of people and then apply them into whatever you want the crowd to do as you kind of I extrapolate it out? Is that kind of a valid? Right. So it, it, um, I'd be most interested in ways to capture specific aspects of a person's movement or behavior and to, um, uh, to give that character that particular style. So maybe at a, at a large crowd level, you might not see individual differences, but uh, if you go a little closer, um, right. if you view these characters a little cl more closely, you know, you want one character to look and move a little differently than the other character, right? So, there, there's individuals among us. So if we, if I didn't know anything about your research, I'd assume that the front end to this was a large uh, capture volume with multiple um, high-fidelity cameras or maybe active markers and uh, you'd have witness cameras and that this would be what would be feeding in, except for that isn't the case at all, is it? Can you talk about your specific stuff you'll be showing at uh, Real Time Live? Oh, so well at real time live, um, uh, we have a um, we have a related project to what, what I'm talking about, which is we we have a put together a system where we can capture a 3D model of a of a human subject uh, within about a minute, a minute and a half. We can automatically rig and skin 
that model and attach a number of behaviors to that character and then simulate that character uh, within the, the entire span of about three minutes. So you can essentially go from uh, the real world into this 3D simulated world in just a few minutes. And with this, we use only a single Microsoft Connect sensor. Um, so when we think about the cost of the overhead to produce this kind of system, essentially all you need is a uh, Microsoft Connect, the, the older version, which is only about $100. It doesn't take very long to capture. Um, like I said, uh, overall, maybe only a minute, minute and a half to the capture. It doesn't take any specialized skill to, to operate. Um, and we see this as a fundamental change in the economics of capture and simulation, because we've basically removed all these barriers to creating 3D content to some extent. Um, and when you think about the fact that there are over 20 million connects in distribution right now, many of them attached to Xbox, systems, the potential for tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, or maybe even millions of people creating their own avatars um, within just a few minutes is, is, uh, is a reality. So let me ask you a couple of questions about that. Uh, it normally is the case when you've got a thing like a Connect is that you've got a very noisy um, result. It's, you know, it's good and you, you can see something, but it's flickery or it's like noisy or let's just face it it's just not got the fidelity that we'd expect but then it's a domestic piece of kit um how sort of how do you overcome the problem of just ending up with a fairly uh only sort of loose approximation that has a lot of noise in it um well you embrace it <laughs> for one uh the, the scan the scan itself is uh is not suitable for close-up, um, close-up sort of interaction, right? Some sort of hero character in full view. Sure. Uh, but we see them as a sort of a third-party, uh, excuse me, third-person perspective in something like a, a video game or some kind of simulation. And the goal is to have a recognizable avatar, right? Um, so we're not necessarily looking for every hair on somebody's head, but we're looking for a shape, um, an appearance that is identifable between different characters. So, right? so if, if, if you scan me and they scan you, we can easily tell, yes, this is definitely me, this is definitely you. So um, at the moment, the, the quality of the, um, of the Microsoft Connects gives you that sort of you know, low to medium quality scan, but um, you know, very few people can't recognize themselves because you see the colors of their clothes, you see the shape of their body, you see the hair that, they're, that they have or whatever other accessories that they're wearing. And... Uh, so I can imagine, uh, and I, I mean, I'd love you to sort of expand on how real this is, but I can imagine that you and I are playing a video game, and at the start of it, we scan each other. Well, it sounds weird, doesn't it? We scan ourselves, and then, and then in the game, if I go past a mirror, I see myself in the mirror. If I want to have a replay from a high view of what just happened in the game, of somebody maybe shooting me or something, that would have my avatar in there. Is that the kind of path this might go down? Um, you, you certainly using yourself in a video game would be, I think, the most obvious place to use it, right? If, um, if you have a sports game, you can use your, your avatar in the sports game to see yourself. Um, I see another use in the social world, right, social applications. So right now we have Facebook messages that we send by text, and we're not too far away from having sort of a full 3D version of yourself or others maybe talking and gesturing and communicating. Um, uh, you, right now we have a lot of 2D avatars that we use as symbols to represent us, but we're not far away from having this 3D avatar that not only can sit there with this static uh, appearance, but actually can move and, and do things as part of this communication. 
and the world of, of social applications that we're involved in. So I, I, I can see the I can see this kind of thing taking off not only in the with current games but with also sort of future uh, future media. If we go back to the original 1970s uh, Uncanny Valley paper that was published in I think Energy. Um, even then, it was identified, obviously that was robotics, but even then it was identified that there's an uncanny valley effect that happens with uh, you know, a static image, but it's magnified when anything moves. And I'm just wondering, like, are you not facing two hurdles to go down this path? One, we have to have the fidelity so it actually looks good enough. But secondly, if the movement is off, it amplifies the uncanny valley effect, which of course people find uh, less than appealing. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure that we get close enough to the uncanny valley to claim that we're, you know, close enough to being human that we're disturbed by it. I, I think we, we're still on the other side where it's obviously not an exact uh, uh, copy of a human. It's more like a uh, sort of an iconic representation. And, and I think when I look at these characters, that, that's, that's, the, that's what the message comes back to me. It, it's not quite uncanny, uh, uncanny valley scary, but rather, oh, this is a version of me that looks a little sketchy and a little bit, a little bit rough. Um, so I, I'm not sure we're entering that, that, that sort of phase with this. And I think if you think of these in the context of sort of recognizable avatars suitable for applications where you need that recognition, um, as opposed to, you know, some sort of close-up encounter where I need to see my, you know, my, my mouth move exactly the way my, my mouth is supposed to move, um, I, I, think it, I think it still works out. Um, uh, and these are still very useful uh, uh, models to use in that sort of situation. Yeah, I mean, it's remarkable that you're not using a more complex piece of kit than a Kinect, and it's also remarkable that you're doing it in such a short amount of time. Um, right, and, and, and I think that's the appeal of it, is, is obviously there are better scans that you can do. You can, you can get a beautiful scan in less time um, with more expensive machinery. Uh, but what we're trying to show is what you can do essentially with paper clips, glue, and and whatever you can pull out of your drawers at home. Um, and the result, actually, I think, is much better than people would expect. I think it's usable for many different applications. And the actual scanning process itself, you do, what, four sort of 90-degree turns each time about 15 seconds, as I understand? Right. So um, we're not the first uh, uh, set of researchers to do scans with a Connect, and we're not the first ones to do scan with a Connect with one, a single Connect. Uh, I think we're the first ones to do it with only four poses. And the challenge up to that point has been when you have four poses at 90 degrees, you don't have a lot of overlap between the, the 3D imagery, right? They, the 3D images have to essentially match on the edges. So when you use an algorithm like uh, some variation of ICP, um, th that algorithm, those, those sets of algorithms rely on the fact that there's enough overlap that you can match up most of the points, and then the remaining points will essentially extend the model. Here we're just locking the models on the edges. Um, so uh, one of the uh, one of the project members, Richard Wang, who works out of the Computer Vision Lab at USC, had put together a uh, different variant of ICP, um, which uh, essentially solves that problem by uh, projecting these points onto a 2D plane and then runs ICP on the contours rather than on the individual points. So um, he's simplifying the problem, reducing the computation time, and then the effect is that we can do this uh, registration and model creation in just a matter of minutes as opposed to maybe, you know, even 10 minutes. Um, so we're, we're, we're much faster than most of the other people that can do this. So uh, in terms of what someone will see if they come along to the real-time live, what, what are you going to actually be showing on the night? 
We're going to be uh, picking out uh, two different audience members and scanning them and simulating them uh, in real time within the time we have to uh, present, which I think is six, seven, or eight minutes. <laughs> so uh, uh, it should be exciting because uh, you know we're just going to pick people that we haven't you know sort of met before or or, or known about and have them go through the process. Um, the uh, going forward, um, we see a lot of uh, meat on this bone. Um, in terms of what we can do next. So while the first step that we're doing is to capture the appearance, what we'd like to do next is capture personality, movement, uh, behavior, right? So if I can create an avatar of a person and make them walk, um, it'll be interesting. If I showed two of those avatars in the environment and they walk the same way, you'd start to say, wait a second, they're not walking as individuals anymore. Their appearance is individualistic, but their, their movement is not. So if you can imagine capturing somebody's, the way they hold themselves, their posture, capturing their gestural style, capturing their presence, and then adding that to the avatar. And then over time, you can see how this avatar becomes a better and better representation of the original person. Hmm. Right? And, uh, and we also see that because the, because the capture time is so, is so low and the cost is so, uh, so low, you capture yourself on a different day, it's a different avatar. Right? You wear different clothes, it's a different avatar. You get a haircut, different avatar. Right? So we don't see these as a one-time creation, but rather sort of temporal snapshots of a person over time. And I think there's a lot of exciting things that can come out of that. If you can imagine many, many people contributing these avatars to some sort of space over time, um, I think it could uh, have some impacts on the 3D world. You know, imagine getting dressed up just for the sake of your avatar capture. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, these wider application uh, areas, because in a sense, uh, you know, I hesitate to say this, but, you know, like, there's people are going to do stuff with this that you've got no idea what it is, and that's kind of the fun of it, right? Like, uh, right. You, know, you think it's going to go uh, in a certain direction, and it certainly does, but then there are completely different um, uh, ways that, uh, that it can go. I mean, I'm sure there will be some solid uses for this in, um, in kind of therapy and stuff to do with... Uh, uh, strokes or something like that that I just couldn't even possibly predict at this point. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that there's a lot of creativity out there that if people had this capability, they would do some very interesting uh, things with. It. I think there's going to be a lot of research that comes out of this related to um, people's uh, impressions of their 3D self. You know, what's it like? What's it like when things happen to your 3D avatar? What's it like when other people interact with them? What's it like when you interact with your friends, your family? children, parents, what have you, right? So to me, I, I keep going back to the social aspect. It seems like there's a lot of um, possibilities with getting avatars that you know or recognize because there's meaning to them, right? If you see your friends as an avatar, and we've given various demos of this at different times, and we've captured something, we show, we show a different person that avatar, they go, hey, I know that person, right? And there's this immediate sense of recognition. There's this immediate sense of connection. Right, so if I capture just somebody you don't know who it is, you might feel that's interesting technology. You know, I capture your friend, your your wife, your children, whatever. That's you're you're connected to it. Right? Yeah, so there's I think there's a lot of research looking out of that. There's some research being done, very well funded actually, in Europe, um, to do with uh, helping the elderly with avatars. And uh, it was interesting for that they discovered that um, you know because the idea is that uh, an elderly person would interact with an avatar so as to make sure that they. Uh, weren't suffering any kind of episode or and uh, you know maybe help with reminding them on um, a pill schedule or something and it's not about uh, anything creepy it's just a, a way of checking in and if 
somebody can't answer some simple questions, then that might be a way to alert the authorities or the family that they're in need of help. Anyway, one of the research aspects I thought was hysterical about this is they sort of went in thinking that, you know, uh, it would be, um, you know, easy to pick what the avatar was and it would be someone that they could relate to at their age. But in fact, the thing that made enormous difference is if it was an avatar of their grandchildren. <laughs> and it suddenly <laughs> went through the roof that they would pay attention to this every morning because even though they knew it wasn't their grandchildren, of course, that no one pretended for a second that, that it was that real. It was just the notion that it was uh, reminded them of their grandchildren was enough to uh, have them actively involved in the program. So there are a lot of, I totally agree with you, this, is, this human dimension you know, of connecting with people that once you bring that in, it totally overlays a, a separate world on top of what you might be pulling off from just looking at an arbitrary image at a conference. Nevertheless, uh, you can't scan everybody at real time live. So I'm looking forward <laughs> to the two people you pull out. Can you talk to us about your other research? Are you publishing any, uh, like, you know, where can people go to like hear about the other research that you, you discussed before that's beyond this um, Connect stuff? Because it was very interesting that stuff you were talking about earlier in terms of uh, taking stuff further. Well, um, a lot of the research we post on our group's website. So our, our main um, animation platform is called Smart Bodies. So this is a animation system that we've been developing, and it has a, a lot of uh, best-of-breed uh, animation functions for interactive applications. So uh, gazing and online retargeting and automatic rigging and grasping and lip-syncing and, and gesturing and movement and, and all that. And it's all OpenGL and it's all free uh, to download. And on those pages we have... Um, uh, a link to all of our uh, research papers uh, that we've done over the number of years uh, since I've been here. Um, and the smart body itself is part of this uh, this package. So um, we're hoping to release a, a binary version of this scanning. Um, and once we do that, you can use smart body as the rest of the system. And uh, essentially, everybody could have this capability in, in very short order. Um, so like we said, if we can distribute this widely, we can start to create this kind of content. And another thing that I didn't mention that is also important is right now the Kinect is scanning the entire body, so the resolution that the Kinect has is sort of distributed over the you know how tall a person is. Um, there are uh, related algorithms that come out of the Computer Vision Lab at USC where you can essentially hold your face up to the Kinect. So if the Kinect is just looking at your face, you can capture a very high-resolution face capture in just a matter of seconds. And then we can stitch that onto the body, right? So um, you know, you're asking before about what do you do mm. with this low resolution. Well, we can selectively um, create higher resolution versions of the of a person's uh, body wherever we want that higher resolution, and then fit it onto the avatar itself. Because you might not care about if the wrinkle in the pants doesn't look good, but you might care that the uh, the face doesn't look quite right. Right. So uh, we can get around some of those limitations by being a little clever about how we put it all together. So the link for people that are looking at that is smartbody.ict.usc.edu, I understand. That's, That's right. The, uh, That's and there's a link there at the top that will get you back to the ICT uh, main, uh, main site. That, um, right. that SDK stuff that you're doing uh, is Windows, obviously, and this Connect stuff, but is there? I think there is an OS X version as well, is that right? Uh, for the smart body SDK? Yeah, well, Smart Body itself runs on Windows, Linux, OS X, oh, okay. and we have we have mobile, <laughs> we have version runs on Google Glass. <laughs> it runs on all, all platforms, um, and uh, the Connect itself obviously has drivers for Windows and OS X as well. Right. So, uh, yeah, and uh, if somebody wanted to get into you know having a play with this because uh, it's of interest, I mean, apart from obviously the hardware that we've already mentioned, 
Um, you know, what else would they need? Can they get everything to get a test system happening based on going to a smart body, or is there more to it than that? Uh, well, the only the only piece that we haven't released yet, and again, I'm hoping to that we can do something in the very near future, is the scanning technology, right? So, so smart body itself will take a 3D model, a humanoid model, and you can drag and drop, auto rig it, and then transfer all sorts of behaviors and movements onto it, and then simulate it. So, if you have the model, smart body can do the rest, and you can just download that. There are some uh, commercial solutions that are based on Kinect Fusion. Um, uh, connect is one, and there's a few others out there where you basically take the, uh, the connect and you hold it over somebody's body, and you can actually create a 3D model from that software that you can then use in SmartBody and do the same thing. Um, you know, our, our system that we're showing off at Real Time Live is essentially a connect sitting on a tripod with no outside assistance, so it's much, much faster and much easier. But if you wanted to use it right now, you could get one of these Connect Fusion programs, create an avatar of yourself, and put it in a SmartBody, and then be up and running. Um, so uh, in terms of, um, uh, which, you know, just sounds fascinating to me. In terms of what you were talking about earlier, though, you did make a point of saying this is the older Connect. Are there plans to upgrade it with new other input devices? Yeah, we're experimenting with the new Connect as well. The one thing that Microsoft did, which is unfortunate, is they left out the motor on the Connect 2. So uh, our scanning system relies on the fact that the Connect can tilt up and down automatically. So we're stitching together... I think uh, on the order of 200 different images uh, from the Connect for each pose, right? So yep. the, the Connect's going to scan up and down, collect 200 images, stitch them all together, and then as you go to the next pose, the Connect 2 doesn't have that motor anymore. So we're we're trying to machine a motor and seeing uh, if we can <laughs> what sort of uh, resolution we can get with the Connect 2. Um, and, but I also expect that once this kind of um, capability becomes sort of more visible to some of these vendors, I expect that they would uh, start creating hardware that would match this, right? If, if we could create for you a great 3D avatar, if we only had a slightly better resolution, I have a feeling that some of these hardware vendors are going to start coming out with those versions. Um, when you think about uh, Google has a, uh, a tablet now that has a depth sensor on it, um, you know, these depth sensors are becoming more and more common. So, you know, we don't think that Connect is the, is the end all to this. Um, you know, any, any system with a depth sensor uh, could potentially work with this. And, and uh, what about uh, feeding the, the smart body algorithm stuff into like high-end apps? So let's go the other way and say somebody already is at a facility that has a, a capture volume and stuff um, mm. and they can produce very uh, high-quality stuff. Is there, a, is there a sort of branch of your research in terms of doing sort of extremely high-end stuff? Um, in terms from the scans themselves? Well, obviously the, the scans are going to be done by the, um, by the high end, but just feeding it into your behavioral stuff. Oh, right, right, yeah. Yeah, a, a, lot, of the, uh, a, lot, a lot of the smart body-related algorithms are sort of data-driven, so the higher quality data you get, the, the better the, the data looks. Um, but I, I do think that um, a lot of these uh, motion synthesis algorithms need a little bit more attention these days. Uh, um, you know, it's clear to me that going forward, you know, scanning scanning data from the real world and is going to be the the way that most data is acquired and used. I think a lot of the manually created 3D content is going to go away, little by little. They always have a place, uh, but but I think the fact that it's so easy to scan a model and get it, scan some motion and get it, that fundamentally going forward, that's going to be the way that most of this 3D content is created. And because because it's uh, it's going to be human like data, I think there needs to be more attention to the algorithms that can give you human quality results. 
right? right. Um, so I, I, you, some things that might work for sort of cartoony motion or cartoony faces is not going to work the same for a uh, highly realistic face, for example. Well, look, it's been fascinating talking to you. I'm looking forward to seeing the uh, demo at uh, Real Time Live, which is on Tuesday at 5.30, I think, if I recall correctly, um, uh, at uh, the uh, Ballroom C&D uh, at the Vancouver Convention Centre. It'll be terrific. And, uh, and frankly, I'm really keen to hear more about uh, your other research as well. So um, maybe we can follow up sometime and uh, delve in even further into the, uh, the other stuff that we've been discussing because it's absolutely fascinating research. Yeah, well, thank you. And, and I should also mention this this project itself is is a, a project that's a collaboration between my group, which is the Character Animation Simulation Group, the Mixed Reality Group. And so Evan Suma is the uh, co-leader for the project, and Mark Bullis, um, and the Computer Vision Lab with Gerard Medioni and Richard Wang over at USC. So it's really putting a lot of different technologies from a lot of different research areas together. Yeah, well, it's incredibly impressive, and uh, thank you so much. Uh, for taking time to talk to us, Ari, and we look forward to uh, seeing your presentation at Real Time Live. Let's talk again now to Nico about the other presentations that are going on at Real Time Live. And of course, Real Time Live is uh, very much associated with the hardware and the software innovations. Nowhere is that more important than in the area of gaming. Gaming is a huge area, and so of course it features very strongly in Real Time Live. And there's a Call of Duty destruction thing. Uh, Nico, what's that actually about? Well, this is actually a really, really interesting piece, and um, this is a piece in which we're actually going to see a little bit of uh, of the Call of Duty game ghost. And uh, the, what's impressive about this particular piece is the fact that, that they're going to be they'll go through the process and, and how they were able to put together different destruction sequences. Um, if you played the game or not, like there's many different areas within the game that you see massive structures that come crumbling down. What, what is very impressive is that this is done at beautiful 60 frames per second, and, and it just looks amazing. Um, so so the, the interesting piece, the, 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 the most important part within this presentation, I mean, is, is the fact that how are we able, how are these guys able to optimize this to make it, you know, crystal clear and, and to make it as impactful as it is? I'm actually very excited to see it myself. <laughs> yeah, no, it'll be good. I got to say, the one that that's really caught my imagination is this uh, construct with real-time mocap ray tracing. Can you tell me about that? Because that that's just I can't believe that sounds so awesome. Yeah, this one's actually very exciting. So we we uh, we've been able to secure a a new piece from uh, a um, production uh, company, which uh, they've created a, a a short called construct. And uh, what's impressive about it is that they they've, they're bringing in a a pipeline in which they're using a real-time ray tracer uh, renderer, and uh, they're integrating it with uh, mocap, and in which it basically allows the the, the directors, you know, and, and uh, the uh, the actual actors to see themselves, you know, and, and in a very close final render <clears throat> uh, resolution, you know, uh, basically at real time. So as you're acting, as you're acting, you can actually see how. The, the final render would look uh, almost in real time. Obviously, it's a real, it's a ray tracer, ray tracer, sorry. Um, and um, uh, basically, you have to stop uh, and, and and just like let it load, but you can actually see the final scene. Uh, and 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 the way that it's put together, it's it's just it just makes things a lot, a lot, a lot uh, faster, so that you can actually go from you know acting to almost final production uh, in a much more 
smooth manner. So it's, it's I guess very, that's one of the things that's one of those things you really want to see for yourself, isn't it? Because it's I mean it's one thing to watch a video sometimes of something like this after the event, or even like in the case of you know an example, you can see a, a clip that's been. But it's really important to be in the room to kind of see what's happening and see how 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 you would respond to that in a production environment. Exactly, and the great thing is that we're actually setting up a mocap uh, stage on the side, you know, where you will see the actors, you know, perform and uh, and the final render go through. So you'll see the whole pipeline at play, uh, and, and you can actually, you know, put together like how is everything working. Uh, so it's very exciting to see it from just beginning to end. You know? So and it's something that you you have to be there to see it. Yeah, no, I'm really, that's like very high on my list, if there wasn't enough good reasons to see uh, Real Time Live anyway. Hey, um, t- talk to me about this uh, music one, because this is one that I don't understand. I'm kind of lost on this. Um, Fantasia Music of Zoll. What What is that? I don't understand that. So Fantasia, this is actually a, a game that will be released very soon for, or I believe it's already released for uh, Xbox One. And the incredible uh, accomplishments behind Fantasia is basically the integration of the, the kinetic, the new kinetic, and uh, the capability for you to fuse sound and and, and uh, visuals through basically an artistic movement of symphony. So <laughs> to, to, to kind of visualize it is like picture yourself being Mickey Mouse and actually controlling, you know, this fantastic world in which you're creating music as you're, as you're moving your hands and, and interacting with the whole scene. Um, so what's extremely impressive and what they've accomplished is, is basically to be able to integrate everything in, in a way that it's not only highly interactive, but it's also absolutely stunning. The art, the visuals are, are, are gorgeous, and, and the interactivity is just, it's just on par. So I was very, very impressed about this piece. I'm very excited to to hear how everything came together because it's it's not a trigger problem to make it engaging, right? Yeah, no, I mean, I I, I think sometimes uh, I mean I didn't realize that was actually from a game, but I was going to say sometimes some of the sort of art pieces really uh, food for the soul, and uh, mm-hmm. so I'm looking forward to that one. I, I just had no idea what it was when you were describing. It. Oh, when I read about it, I was like, huh, what's this going to be? <laughs> hey, um. <laughs> So uh, Leap Motion is uh, showing a new digital sculpting, sculpting um, adaptive surface topology uh, system. <clears throat> you want to discuss that? Yes. Yeah, so this one, uh, it, it's actually very interesting because this is a great example of what's going on in, in, in industry and, and what's going on specifically with real-time life, which is that we're kind of, a, we're kind of evolving. And what I mean by that is that we've, we've even though real-time graphics is kind of the core of what RTL is all about, we're also expanding into peripherals and different hardware and different additional, um, uh, you know, uh, capabilities for you to interact with with the graphics that are created. So, so in particular for for the uh, for the lead motion controller, what what they've been able to to accomplish is um, it's basically a new way for you to to control virtual clay. And they created a system in which you can you can model right using the lead control, and it looks extremely fun. It looks like it's something that you can just pick up, you know, and then start playing around and sculpt like different things with your fingers. And they, they created a, a full system where you can protrude, you can expand, you can do pretty much anything you can do with any other modeling software. But what's exciting about this one is is just this whole new layer of interactivity that the lead controller brings uh, to play. So, so yeah. So rather than wait to the end, just as we're working through it, 
I mean, uh, how do you get to pick these pieces? I mean, uh, what's the process that something, because we've got a bunch more we're going to talk about, but just before we go any further, yeah. the, how, how do they come to get on the, uh, the actual night? So Real Time Live is a jury uh, venue. And the way it works is that we have a jury of professionals within the field. They, they come from all corners of, you know, the, the real-time graphics um, space. And um, what we do is that they basically go through every single one of the ap- applications. We look at multiple categories such as innovation, um, growth in the particular in, in the real-time area, the real-time space, <laughs> uh, technical complexity, you know, and, and they are the ones that select the pieces. So they are the ones that actually determine what, which one of the applicants is an, it would be interesting for the for the audience. So it's a pretty competitive process. This year, to give you an example, we had close to four. It was 40 applications, and then we basically select uh, around eight pieces. Um, so yeah, so it's uh, and, and we got some fantastic content. So it was actually a very challenging process to to finalize the actual lineup but um but i think we we did a great job so i'm very excited for this year's show right so i mean that jury has people from academia but like google uh microsoft there are games companies there's um hardware makers so it's a pretty it's a pretty informed group um yeah exactly We, we make sure that we have people from multiple corners you know from rendering from hardware software um you know from uh, different interactive peripherals uh virtual reality uh, we try to make it as, as uh, robust as possible so it's a fair process okay so um one of the ones that uh is um a lot more kind of uh easy to get your head around than the uh the modeling or perhaps the music is the real-time fire simulation and, and here of course it's not so much that it's easier it's just that it's easy to understand <laughs> what what they're trying to achieve can you explain yeah. this one and this one's uh, actually you know related directly to nvidia yeah, so I, I I love this piece. It's literally burn, baby, burn. It was it was fantastic what they've accomplished this year. Is is basically they they're able to simulate fire in real time, and uh, the results are, are absolutely impressive. They're they're using real time volume simulation for the smoke, for the actual fire, major strokes in real time. It, it, it's a very technical piece when it comes down to the actual techniques used, but. Even if you know nothing of math or, or the, sorry, of, of the actual physical you know models used, when you look at the results, it's just absolutely beautiful. Especially because you can interact with anything in the on the scene. Um, so we're going to be able to see they they have this particular scene which have a massive dragon which is just like blowing fire at you know columns and, and characters and whatnot. So it, it just makes me really excited to think what you know next gen games are going to be now that all these new techniques come to life, right? Oh, yeah. Um, NVIDIA's always been above par in terms of what they what they produce, so it's, so it's, I'm very excited about this one as well. Um, the, uh, I mentioned that, you know, it's not just companies that, uh, you know, you might think of from a commercial point of view, but um, research, mm-hmm. academia, and that kind of stuff, and a good example of that is the stuff that's uh, to do with making your own avatar coming from uh, the USC ICT guys. Um, terrific organization mm-hmm. in terms of their contribution to the industry. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, is it as simple as it sounds? Is it literally? Um, you must have played with it. You must have seen it. Yeah. So this is actually very cool. It's a very very interesting process. And what they've done is that using different Kinect camera inputs, what you do is that you literally scan your body. So you stand in the middle of the room. You use multiple angles of view, and as they scan your body, what they're able to do is that they're able to create an avatar just like that. 
Um, prior to this, you were required to, to model, you know, to skin it, to do basically the whole process so that you can create the full character. But um, they have a fantastic pipeline in which after they do the scan, um, they do have to crunch some numbers, but the output is fantastic. Like you can take the, the character immediately and just like dump it into a game or put it into, you know, whatever application you have. So it's, it, it's really cool. And in this particular case, what we're trying to do is, is we'll actually try to get some um, interaction with the crowd and, and, and try to bring someone on stage. You know, so can I, can I put, put my hand up now? <laughs> well, yeah, it, it, I, I guess we can work something out. <laughs> okay, cool. But I did like the fact that the guys were talking about getting it to a point that you could even do, uh, I guess it's talking about the frequency of being able to update the avatar. And that, so you could even do daily avatars. Yep. I like the idea of the, this is what I'm wearing today. This will be my avatar to perfectly match. Um, but it's exactly. it's absurd that we're talking about le- level, right? Because like a few mm-hmm. years ago, I mean, oh my God, we're talking about kind of effectively stick figures of, um, uh, you know, representations and that took a bit of work. This is um, this is just insane. Like this is a ridiculous amount of, um, or, or a ridiculous lack of complexity between what you start with and what you end up with. It's, yeah, uh, exactly. Exactly. The, the growth in the space is absolutely incredible. It, it's just stunning what, what we've been able to accomplish within just a couple of years. Um, now, this one is another one that I don't understand, so you have to explain it to me. Um, it's uh, it's called Real Time Is Now, and basically it sounds like uh, we are looking at sort of redefining our experience of the Internet, sort of, uh, I don't know what you'd really call it, right? My ability to... to know where I am in the internet uh, would be uh, far less link determined and far more um, exploratory. I don't know. What, what, am I, what am I looking at? So Real Time Now is a bit more of an artistic piece. And uh, why we were very interesting in, in having it as part of the actual lineup is, is to have it as an introductory piece to the show so that as you come in, you're basically greeted with a, I love to call it HTML5 poetry. And uh, from from a technical perspective, what uh, uh, the, the author Isaac uh, accomplished is basically he, he put together uh, multiple referrals, such as the the um, he's using Elite Control, if I if I remember correctly, and um, and he's basically using his voice as another input in order to generate beautiful graphics, and and he's basically going through poetry that that just creates this magical world, uh, but it, it's more of an artistic piece. Um, it's just to basically show how you, and, and it is built on HTML5, right? So it's just to show what, you know, the creativity of different uh, authors uh, can look like and, and how you can actually combine multiple techniques in order to just create something beautiful. Um, so, yeah, this is, this is more of an introductory piece for the show. Yeah, these are the sort of pieces that, I mean, I hope we never lose because it's easy, yeah. of course, to... Um, get to a point where you kind of feel like uh, you know it's got to be much more kind of commercially focused, and and there's nothing wrong with commercially focused applications of real time live, obviously, but it is good yeah, to have exactly. the uh, the uh, the soul in form with a couple of pieces that make you kind of kind of think. I have no idea what that would look like from your description, but I look forward <laughs> to uh, walking in and kind of finding out. Um, and the Fantastic. last the last of the, I think was seven pieces or eight pieces that we've been talking about um, is to do with real time animation of uh, cartoon character faces so um, mm-hmm. I presume this is based off a webcam or a camera or maybe a couple of cameras looking at me or someone and then producing um, a translation is that right yes 
Yes. So, so this is a small company that they, they created a product. This is an actual product. Um, but what they did is is, is very exciting because uh, it, this is all obtained through just an input of a, of a simple webcam, and the results are very impressive. And what we what the actual jury loved about this piece is, is the, the the particular interest that this would spark within the MD game development com- uh, community. So. Uh, once you be able to see, once you see the actual presentation, you you, you understand what I'm talking about. But they, the the way that you can animate your your characters just by using your webcam and just literally like, you know, go act, it, it creates a whole new layer for for indie games, but not only indie games for anybody creating a game, right? Um, that 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 is very exciting. Um, now you see companies such as you know the the big studios, big name studios, they have much much more. Um, sophisticated techniques in order to achieve this, but what what we really love was the fact that it was simple, and and um, and it was truly stunning what what the output looked like. So so yeah, and and it's it's a company that you know I, I believe this is uh, their first product, so it's it, it's also a great um, way to support them. Right? Yeah, so Mixamo is uh, based in San Francisco, I think, isn't it? And um, yes, yeah, and uh, and I think it's it operates as a in concert with a game engine. I think it actually works in concert with like Unity or something. Um, yes, right now is a plugin for Unity. I, I am not sure if they're looking into extending. Um, I know that they will be presenting the Unity plugin right now, which is a very, very popular game engine, you know, for, for the indie development space. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's it's really, um, again, it's the advantage of real-time feedback, right? It's the whole thing exactly. about not having to... Um, have an iterative cycle that sort of deters creative experimentation and that's what makes some of this stuff so phenomenally interesting um you know some of it clearly like the fire and some of the other stuff that we've talked about uh you could really you know discuss at a at a final render quality kind of you know the the level that they're hitting are exceeding and succeeding (laughs) at uh producing stuff that's really um usable and then other things are giving us more flexibility to be able to produce stuff that uh, will go into a pipeline. Um, so it's a good mix you've, you've managed to put together this year. Um, I guess the you, you and the jury have put a fair amount of work into this, but it must be great to see it coming together. No, it's fantastic. Yeah, we put a lot of work into it. And, and this year we're actually focusing a little bit more on uh, uh, giving the, the actual presentation itself a theme as well. So we're playing off with... You know, like your crazy lab, uh, crazy scientists, and 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 uh, tinkerers and geniuses and, and whatnot. So, so it'll be a lot of fun. It'll be a little bit more entertaining, a little bit more, you know, interactive. So, um, it, it's something that you should not miss if if you are in Zagreb. Brilliant. Well, uh, I'm looking forward to it. As I say, if you need someone to come up from the audience, um, I'll be down the front on the left, and <laughs> I'll see you at uh, <laughs> at uh, in Vancouver, back at the Vancouver. Okay, fantastic. Center. I'm excited. Thanks so much for your time. My pleasure. Well, as always, SIGGRAPH is shaping up to be quite the show, and FX Guide will be there to attend as many sessions as we can to gather material for FX Guide and FX PhD. As with most of these big shows, and SIGGRAPH in particular, it's just such a great place to meet people and catch up with old friends. You can spend days planning a schedule, but then you find an absolute gem just because you bumped into someone who turns you on to something new. So hope if you're heading to SIGGRAPH, um, that happens to you. And if not, I hope you'll join us here over the next few months to catch up on what we've learned from SIGGRAPH 2014. Are you an FX insider? 
FX Insider is our membership program. We had people asking us over the years, how can we help you continue to do what you do at FX Guide? We know you don't do a lot of banner advertising. You don't barrage us with a lot of ads. How can we help? So we created the FX Insider program to allow us to bring you exclusive content and expanded articles. It's a way for you to care. If you care about visual effects and the work we do to help us continue to grow, you can find details at fxguide.com. Click the FX Insider tab. We also produce two other audio podcasts. This one has been the FX Podcast, but the VFX Show reviews visual effects and current releases, as well as classic films. And the RC Podcast covers digital cinematography, and that's been very interesting lately, as Jason has been shooting with quite a few new cameras. We also produced a high-definition video podcast, as I mentioned earlier, FX Guide TV. All of these, along with in-depth news and more, at fxguide.com. And as I mentioned, check out fxphd.com for extensive online visual effects training. Well, that'll do it for this episode. For my partners, Mike Seymour and John Montgomery, I'm Jeff Huser. We'll see you on the next FX Podcast. Please let us know if you have any suggestions for stories or future podcasts. You can reach us by clicking the Contact Us link at the top of the homepage. This podcast is copyright FX Guide, LLC. Broadcast or redistribution is prohibited without the expressed written consent of FX Guide.